Well, turn with me, if you would, to First John. We're going to continue our study from First John, First John chapter 3. If you haven't uh, had time to grab an outline, there should be a couple on the table. You might find it beneficial in, in following along. If not, I will try my best to, to at least give you the main points, um, so at least it makes it a little bit easier um, following along in the text. First John, again, chapter 3. Today we're going to be looking at um, verses 19 through 24 of chapter 3, which will actually get us through the end of chapter 3. And I've, I've, titled, um, I've titled the sermon, I think I wrote the title down wrong on the outline, but uh, I, I titled it When Love is Present, or The Benefits of Love, I think is what I, I wrote down in your outline, but I have up here written When Love is Present. Um, Last time we were in First John, we considered the, the requirement of love, and we talked about agape love and what it was, and, and how as believers we are required, right, to, to love, right? And of course, it's out of a, a delight and desire, not just simply out of duty, but we're required to love. And today what we're going to look at is we're going to look at um, uh, when love is present. Agape love in and through the life of the believer, when it's present, in the life of a believer, it should produce three things that John addresses here. Okay, uh, Not an all-inclusive list of what agape love should produce in the life of a believer, but John gives us three things in this text um, that it should produce. And so we're going we're gonna to examine those uh, uh, three things this morning. Go ahead and read with me now 1 John chapter 3, verses 19 through 24. By this we shall know that we are of the truth and reassure our heart before him. For whenever our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart, and he knows everything. Beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence before God, and whatever we ask we receive from him, because we keep his commandments and do what pleases him. And this is his commandment, that we believe in the name of the Son, Jesus Christ, and love one another just as he has commanded us. Whoever keeps his commandments abides in God and God in him. And by this we know that he abides in us by the spirit whom he has given us. The first thing that we're going to consider or look at is the assurance of salvation. When agape love is present, right, in and through the life of the believer, it should produce for the believer an assurance of salvation. And we see this in verses 19 through 20. I'm going to read those one more time for you. By this we shall know that we are of the truth and reassure our heart before him. For whenever our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart and he knows everything. Now, I've mentioned several times um, in the past how scripture um, forces us to examine ourselves, right? Uh, specifically at times, examine whether or not um, we're in the faith, right? Whether or not we're, we're true believers. And again, it, it does it, it being scripture, right? It uh, does it implicitly and, and explicitly. I mean, there's times when um, a particular passage explicitly um, forces us through commands or whatever the case might be to examine ourselves to see whether or not we're in the faith, right? 
And then Scripture implicitly does that just, just by the nature that it's the Word of God, right, proclaiming divine truth, right, that has implication on our lives. And as we examine the truths of God's Word, the truths of God's Word, and, and we examine it against ourselves, we're, we're constantly led to this place to say, well, well where do I fit in this equation, right? Is, is, is that me, right? Is that a reflection of, of my life? Do I, do, I, do, I, do I get that spiritually? Am I, am I on board with that? Where am I in this equation? And, and when we just start asking those natural questions of, of us in relation to, to that text, I think that's where it implicitly forces us to examine our own, if you will, uh, spirituality. Um, of course, in 1 John, we've, we've looked at this numerous times where he's forced us, right? This text has forced us um, to do so, right? And in these two verses, okay, John is actually addressing the assurance of salvation. Now, the purpose of Scripture forcing us to examine ourselves, right? And this is important as I thought about this, and, and every time I, I uh, exhort the church to examine, right? Examine yourself, right? Are you, are you truly in the faith? Where do you fit in this, okay? The purpose of that isn't to create doubt that we're saved. And, and I often fear that that's the case, okay? That, that when Scripture, or I'm, I'm exhorting you to examine yourself because it's what Scripture's forcing us to do, right? I'm often afraid that, that, that you, right, that the church is going to, as a result, um, doubt. Well, I don't know. I mean, I'm, I'm definitely not, I'm not perfect. I don't completely fit the bill according to that text. And uh, I, I really hope I'm saved. I, I don't know. All right, again, purpose isn't to create doubt that we're saved. But one, it's to bring, bring the unsaved, right, that is a false converts, and the saved to repentance. That is, when Scripture is forcing an individual to, to examine themselves against the, the, the text, right, if, if, if that person is a false convert, or that person is just simply a, 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 a professed unbeliever amongst, amongst believers, one, the, the purpose is to bring them to repentance um, or, uh, and to salvation, right? And then if you are a believer, right, and there's unconfessed sin in your life, and, and again, it might be intentional sin, it might be unaware sin, right, um, that, that the Holy Spirit makes you aware of, then again, the purpose is to bring you to repentance unto to sanctification, okay? But again, it's, it's not to bring doubt into the true believer's life as to whether or not he or she is, is saved, okay? Here's the thing, and, and we're going to see this. I hope we're going to see this. And, and the, these two, uh, first two verses is, is this. John, okay, he wants you to know, even though he's been forcing us so far many times to examine ourselves, he wants you to know that you are saved, right? I mean, assuming you are saved, right? He wants you to know that you are safe, okay? And he wants you to know that you can know for sure that you are saved, right? God wants that because it's in his word, right? John wants that because God's using John, right? And I want that for you as well. If you're saved, you can know for sure that you are saved. And I want you to know that. And I don't, even as you examine yourself, right, um, I don't want you, if you are truly saved, to, to ever doubt that you are saved. doesn't mean we don't question and ask questions, okay? Um, he, he says here in verse 19, By this we shall know that we are of the truth and reassure our heart before him. 
by this we shall know. Love, by this, love, agape, last time, by, by this, love. Love produces evidence. We consider that before. Agape is evidence of salvation. It's the fruit of salvation, right? So by this evidence, this love, right, we shall know and reassure our heart. That is, give us assurance of our salvation. So again, examination for the purpose of assurance, not condemnation. Okay, so so we examine ourselves against Scripture, right? As believers, okay. Not I'm, I'm speaking to believers, not false converts, though we know that there there may be false converts among us at any given time. But but as believers, we examine ourselves for the purpose at times of assurance, and not condemnation. He says, for whenever our heart condemns us, talking about a self-condemnation here, for whenever our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart and he knows everything. When our, when our heart condemns us concerning salvation, this is what John is addressing here, okay? Um, he's not talking about uh, simply questioning salvation. I think all of us at some point in our lives as believers have, have we questioned, am, am I really safe? Right? I mean... Yeah, I mean, I'm, 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 I'm not thinking about this. I'm, I'm examining scripture. I'm examining my life, right? I'm, I'm questioning it. Different than self-condemnation. Self-condemnation is going to come in and say, yeah, I, I, I'm, not, I'm not, I can't be saved. I mean, I'm a, I'm a complete, I'm, I'm beyond God's grasp of salvation. I, I don't think I really, whatever, okay? Um, so again, a, a difference between questioning your salvation and, 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 and having a, a self-condemning doubt, if you will, um, Again, not simply questioning salvation, which can be good, um, but when the heart accuses us and tells us that surely we're not saved or seeks to produce doubt concerning salvation. So he says again, whenever our heart condemns us, God is what? God is greater than our heart. Listen, um, I don't know about you, but, but, but concerning myself anyway, I've, I've learned that I can't trust my emotions, right? You can't trust your emotions. Uh, you can't trust your, your heart. Even though we may be believers, right? And God has taken out our hearts of stone and given us hearts of flesh, right? We're still, what? We're still fallen. We're still sinners by nature. And we can't trust our hearts. At Jeremiah 17.9, most of us are probably familiar with this verse, but if you would turn with me to Jeremiah um, 17.9 real quick. Just kind of a reminder of, our, of the condition of our hearts, even as believers, a reminder of our, our emotional state when it comes to trusting it. Um, Jeremiah 17:9, he, he says, um, says what? The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it, right? Listen, you can't trust your heart. You can't trust your emotions, right? And I think in part this is why John says... Um, for when your heart condemns you, right? Your deceitful heart condemns you. He says what? He says, God is greater than your heart and he knows everything. I always want to, and I'll say this before moving on, I always hate making the statement. I, I feel like, I said that to Randy on the phone the other day. I called him and I said, I feel like this. And I was telling him how I feel, right? And I know that my, my emotions and my feelings are, are fickle at best, right? And, and deceitful at worst, probably. 
Um, and, and I hate that because I know I, I can't trust my heart, right? And, and it's in those moments, right, that we have to trust what we know to be true. Um, listen, the assurance of our salvation, okay, isn't based upon how you feel. Whether or not you're, you're saved or you're not saved has nothing to do with how you feel about salvation. Many, of, many a godly men who undoubtedly were saved, right, have experienced depression and despair and self-condemnation and, and doubt, okay? That's why we can't rely upon our feelings and our emotions when it comes to whether or not we're saved. So, so what do we rely upon? The Word of God, right? Because God is greater. It's what He says. Don't trust your heart, your self-condemning heart, but trust in God who is greater than our heart and He knows everything. Romans, um, let's go to Romans 10, 13. Romans 10, 13 concerning salvation, if you will. Apostle Paul says, for everyone, simple, who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. If through repentance and faith you have or a person calls upon the name of the Lord, then that person is saved. That's it. doesn't matter how they feel about it. Ten years later, 20 years later, at some point in, in their life, right? So if someone were to come to me, if you were to come to me, if I were to experience this time where I'm, 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 I'm dealing with doubt or, or, or self-condemnation, whatever the case might be, what does the Word of God say? The Word of God says that for everyone who repents and believes, who calls upon the Lord, right, through repentance and faith, is saved. Right? And if you've done that, regardless of how you feel at any given point, then your salvation is a sure thing. Also, I want you to know, and, and John doesn't include this in here, but I, I think it's essential, um, concerning the assurance of salvation, that there is, I believe, an inseparable connection between the assurance of salvation and the security of salvation. If, if salvation is not secure, that is a guaranteed thing, meaning it can't be lost, it can't be given up, it can't be taken away, okay? If, if, if salvation is not a secured thing, then it can't be a assured thing. So in part of your understanding of, of the assurance of salvation, I also want you to know that, that it's a secured thing. And I think that if you, if you truly believe and know and trust that it's a secured thing, right, you also know that it's an assured thing. Romans 8. Go back there. I should have had you stay there, right? Romans 8, verse 38. Romans eight thirty-eight. Paul says, For I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else 
in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. There's absolutely nothing that can separate God's saving work from anyone upon whom God pours out his electing love. Not even that person. You take a lost person who is an enemy of God, who hates God, who wants absolutely nothing to do with God, right? For those of us who are saved, we were once that person. You take that person, and when God pours out his grace and mercy upon that person, not even that person can separate himself from the love of God, the saving work of God, all right? That is, salvation is a secure thing. God gets what he wants, and he gets who he wants. Also, 2 Timothy 1.12. Um, 2 Timothy 1.12 concerning, I believe, the security and assurance of salvation. Again, 2 Timothy one. 12, which is why, this is Paul speaking here, right? Which is why I suffer as I do, but I am not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed, and I am convinced that he is able to guard until that day what has been entrusted to me. Right. That is his salvation to the day of judgment. Paul is absolutely convinced that his salvation is guaranteed, is secured by God. And that there's absolutely nothing or no one that can, uh, can do anything right, to take it away. So again, the, the assurance of salvation is inseparably linked, I believe, to the security of of salvation. Again, if it wasn't a guaranteed thing, right, that is that it was secure, then, then how could you truly be assured that you were saved or, or not saved? So there's an inseparable link between that and as John explains in this text, also a link between what agape, that is love, in and through the life of the believer, giving us assurance of salvation as well. Again, a, a benefit, if you will, of love, right? being um, displayed and lived in and through the life of a believer. It's assurance of salvation. The second thing is confidence in answered prayer. So agape love in and through the life of a believer should produce confidence in answered prayer. Again, First John, this is verses uh, 21 through 22. Beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence before God. Whatever we ask, we receive from him because we keep his commandments and do what pleases him. How do we overcome a condemning heart? Right? Well, we, just, we just examine that. We rely upon the promises of God. In this context concerning assurance of salvation, we rely upon the promises of God. But anytime right, we have, we have doubts, right, we rely upon the promises of God. That is the truths of his word. I don't know. Is this, is this really so? I heard this, you know, a believer says this and this believer says that and now I'm just, I'm not sure. Is he really coming back? Did he really create like he said he created? Did, did this, did that? Right. Anytime we have doubts, we go to his word. 
We have confidence before God. Now listen, the confidence that we have in God and before God is because of God. Here it's not just a confidence in the assurance of salvation, but in verses 21 and 22, it's confidence in answered prayer. Now listen, God, God hears our prayers. Okay, um, just for an example here, let's look at Psalm 145. Really, you can just completely peruse the Psalms, specifically the Psalms of David, and it is absolutely evident that God hears the prayers of those who are his. I mean, let's take David, right? I mean, David was a wreck, was he not? I mean, here he was, I, I mean, a man after God's own heart, right, which I want to be called. Right? I want you to be called women and men after God's own heart. And David was a wreck. And I mean, if, 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 if that, that gives me hope, right? One, that God answers my prayer or hears my prayer. And, and that I too could be a man after God's own heart. Okay? So the Psalms are just filled with example, examples of God uh, hearing the prayers of, of those who are his and answering the prayers of those who are his. But let's just look at one Psalm here. Uh, Psalm 145. Um, Verse, uh, verse 18. And 145.18 says, The Lord is near to all who call on him, to all who call on him in, in truth. Okay, so, so one, just know this, that God hears our prayers. Okay? Um, when we think of, of God answering prayer, okay, we often think of him answering prayer according to our will, right? Like, and that's one of the things that gets me. This, this, this sermon in this text is an in-depth study on prayer, but it always kills me when, it, when people say, well, God answered, God answered my prayer. I'm like, when he answers your prayer according to what you wanted him to do, you say he answered my prayer, right? But when, when the outcome isn't what you want, are you going to say that God didn't answer your prayer as, as well? Listen, God answers, I'm convinced that God answers all the prayers of, of, of his children, okay? And he answers them according to his will and not ours, okay? So, so we, we know that we can, we can confidently come to him in prayer and know that he's going to answer those prayers according to his will. Listen, the results of whatever it is you're praying for might not be what, what you desire, but you can be confident that they're what God's desire. And in that, you can pray or you can proclaim, sorry, that God answered your prayer. I often think of it in, in circumstances where we, we're praying for a brother or sister who's, who's uh, uh, potentially deathly ill, right? And we want, God to, we want God to heal them, right? And we're praying that God, I mean, physically heals them here and now and that, that, that physically they become healthy and well and, 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 and the fullness of their life and that perspective continues, right? What, can I, what, I, what I can assure you is, is that one way or another, even in that circumstance, that God's going to heal that person, right? And that your answers, your prayers are going to be answered. I mean, if he heals that person physically here and now and they go on to a full life, you can, you can boldly proclaim that God answered our prayer and he healed that person, right? And if you're praying for that now, here, physical healing, and God, uh, according to his divine and sovereign will, right, takes that, that believer home, 
right? You can proclaim that God answered our prayer and God healed that person in a way way better than he ever could have been healed, right? Here and now, okay? Regardless of the outcome, but you can know and trust that God answered your prayer. So God answers the prayers of his children, but he always does according to, to his will. Psalm, if you're still in the Psalms, let's look at 135.6. One thirty-five six says this: Whatever the Lord pleases, He does in heaven and on earth, and all the seas, and all the deeps. Um, listen, when we subject ourselves and our requests to God's will, okay, we can be confident that He will answer our prayers, and He will do so in a way that pleases Him. Right? It will be for His glory as well as for our good. Now, in verse 22, back in 1 John chapter 3, it says, Whatever we ask, we receive from him because we keep his commandments and do what pleases him. Listen, this isn't a magic formula for getting what we want. Like, jump through these hoops, and, and he'll give you what you want. Like, my kids do that. You know, like, uh, I, I ask them to do something. And so they think that because they, Dad, I cleaned my room. Can I get on the Xbox? And I'm like, No. But I cleaned my room. I did what you wanted, so I get what I want. I'm like, it doesn't work that way. Just because you did what was required of you or asked of you doesn't mean you get what you want. Okay, listen, that, that's not what's going on in this verse either. It's not, it's not saying that, hey, listen, if you obey God's commands and please him, just ask him and it's yours. I want a million dollars. That's not going to happen, folks. I want a nice new car. You know, listen, just because we obey him doesn't mean um, that we get what we want. However, so there is a correlation, and we're going to explain that, there is a correlation between obedience, and again, this is obedience out of desire and out of delight, not just simply duty. Like, like if we do what God says, right? Thou shalt not lie. Thou shalt not steal. Thou shalt not covet, right? Thou shalt do this, okay? If we do that just simply out of duty, well, the Bible says it, so I'm going to do it. I don't care if I want to do it, don't want to do it. Doesn't matter. God says it, I'm doing it, right? I mean, at best, that's just straight legalism. And, and I can assure you that that does not please God. But there is a correlation um, of obedience out of, again, delight and duty that pleases God and answered prayer. Mark eleven twenty four. Therefore I tell you, whatever you ask in prayer, believe that you have received it, and it will be yours. Again, not, not, and the same thing as, as First John said in the magic form. Well, if you've got enough faith and you ask for it in prayer, you're being obedient, it's absolutely yours. Again, that's not what, 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 what Jesus is proclaiming here in Mark. Mark's not, not uh, 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 condoning that either. See, here's the thing. I believe that um, a believer can reach a point um, in their life when when they're so in tune with God 
that his or her wants are, are God's wants, okay? That his or her desires are, are God's desires, okay? And when this person asks, they ask, again, according to God's will for God's glory, for the good of the believer, right? I believe then that person can have absolute confidence and assurance that, that God will, will answer that prayer. And will also answer and will often answer it in, in the manner in which they ask it. Because, again, they're, they're, they're so in tune with God. And, and, and I think the example of that would be in, in, in a case of, of, again, praying for a loved one, for, for a sick loved one. That we can be confident that, that, um, that God's going to heal that loved one. It's going to take care of him one way or another, right? You know, it doesn't mean that we don't specifically ask for, I want physical healing. There was a missionary. Randy, I don't know if you watched that. I sent Randy an email, a video. I don't know if he watched it or not. You need to watch it. There's a pastor. I don't know theologically exactly where he's at. It doesn't matter. Um, missionary in the Philippines for, for many years, 20 years or something. Started an orphanage. Went back after this last typhoon, I think it was, um, or tsunami or whatever happened recently in the Philippines. And some false accusations were made concerning this pastor missionary, and uh, he was he was arrested, right, and and thrown into Filipino prison, and um, there were uh, he was a is a pastor from our hometown or close to our hometown where Jennifer and I grew up in Ohio, and that's kind of how I had heard about him, and so I I had been following the story, and praying for him, and believers all over the country and the world praying for him and praying for his release. And, and I think it's right, and I think it's good that um, that we pray for his, I say, release, specifically pray for his deliverance, right? And and here's what, what I was confident of as, as I was praying for him, um, that God was going to deliver him one way or the other, right? And, and, and I think that's where we have to be careful as believers, and even within these verses and asking for things, is we, we still need to be careful not to, if you will, put, put God in a box, Right. I mean, it doesn't mean we don't pray specifically, okay? Because I, I think we, I think we ought to, okay? But, but we don't need to put God in this box where He has to answer it one way and only one way for His will to be fulfilled and for His glory and for the good of, of, of all who are involved, right? But it's to have utter confidence that you know what God was going to deliver in this case. God was going to deliver him. I knew for a fact that God was going to deliver him. I didn't know how he was going to deliver him. I wanted God to deliver him uh, uh, by releasing him. And you know what? Praise the Lord, he did. Um, but one way or another, he was going to deliver him through life, through death, through uh, uh, the rest of his life in prison. Regardless, God would have delivered him. It was like uh, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. You know, God was going to deliver him from that fire, right? One way or another, he was going to deliver him. So, so if we'd have been watching from the outside, we could have been praying specifically that God would have delivered him physically right then and there, but would have had and could have had, could have had utmost confidence that God was going to deliver him, either physically in some miraculous way, or he was going to deliver him by ushering him straight into the kingdom. And um, we can be assured that God would have answered right that prayer. And again, I, I think it's an issue of, of assurance that God answers those prayers. And I want you to know that you can be assured that God will answer your prayers according to His will for His glory as well as for your good. 
Now, the third, the third thing that uh, love should produce in the life of the believer we see in this text of, of 1 John is it should produce an awareness of the abiding presence of the Holy Spirit. Verses 23 and 24, he says, and this is the commandment. Now, again, he had just said in verse uh, 22, right, we keep his commandments and we do what pleases him, okay? And then verse 23 says, and this is his commandment, that we believe in the name of the Son, Jesus Christ, and love one another just as he has commanded us, right? Sounds to me when he says, believe in his Son, Jesus Christ, and love one another, or it sounds to me or reminds me of, of the Ten Commandments. Let's look at Matthew 22. Matthew 22, verse 34 through verse 40. When the Pharisees, and this is verse 34, Matthew 22, when the Pharisees had heard that he had silenced the Sadducees, he being Jesus, they gathered together, and one of them, a lawyer, asked him a question to test him. Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? And he said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. And this is the great and first commandment. And a second is like it. Shall love your neighbor as yourself. And on these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. So Jesus not only summarizes the Ten Commandments with, with basically love God, right, and love others, right. He in fact summarizes every single one of God's commandments. So love God love others. And John gives us a summary of that same thing, right? Believe on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. I can't think of a greater display of our love for God than actually what? Than, than believing on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Turning to him and repentance and faith demonstrates, one, that love, right? So he says again in 23, this is his commandment. We believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ. Love one another, then in verse 24, he says, whoever keeps his commandments abides in God and God in him. And by this, we know, again, by this evidence of salvation as made known through what? Made known through agape, specifically in this context. By this, we know that he abides in us by the spirit whom he has given us. That is, that we would have an awareness of the abiding presence of the Holy Spirit. Right? I mean, you know as a believer that the Holy Spirit abides in you, right? I mean, it's, it's, a, it's just as secure as salvation is. That's a secured thing, right? It's an assured thing. It's not like you were saved and on that day you received the Holy Spirit and he comes and goes as he pleases, right? No, it's a, it's a done deal, right? The Holy Spirit, if you are a believer, abides in you, period. The Holy Spirit abides in all believers all the time. First John 4.15. John's going to address this very thing here. 4.15, he says, Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him and he in God. We also see it in 1 Corinthians. First Corinthians 3.16. First Corinthians three sixteen. Do you not know that what? You are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in you. Again, Paul proclaims his truth in six nineteen. Same thing. Six nineteen he says. 
Or do you not know what? That your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God. You are not your own. See, we should constantly, as believers, be aware of this and living in such a way that what? That reflects this reality. The reality that the Holy Spirit abides in you. And again, agape, love, in and through the life of the believer should what? Should produce this awareness of the abiding presence of the Holy Spirit. What I want to do is I want to summarize, and I think this is the best way to, 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 to at least finish this text. And I know I don't, it's probably the first time I've ever given a summary at the end of a sermon, um, at least intentionally or explicitly. It's not something I normally do. But, but if there's anything that I want you to remember, it's this. And so I'm going to summarize uh, this text, okay? And I'm going to do it in two ways. I'm going to give it to you in a, in a negative way first, if you will, and then, and then from a positive uh, standpoint, all right? So it's this, right? Um, if, this is a negative. If, if love is lacking, I'm going to give it to you in if-then statements, right? If you recall those, if-then. Right? I'm going to give it to you in if-then statements, negative. If love is lacking, then a lack of assurance resulting from self-condemnation may be present. If love is lacking, then confidence and answered prayer may be lacking. Probably will be lacking on all of these instead of may. If love is lacking, then an awareness of the abiding presence of the Holy Spirit will be lacking. This is what, this is what John is proclaiming in this text. Right? And now, now to look at it from the, the, the positive side, if you will. Okay? If love is present, so from one standpoint, if love is lacking or if love is present. If love is present, then, and it's really this that I want you to remember of, of anything else that I've said today. If love is present, then the self-condemnation, or then self-condemnation will be absent, and assurance of salvation will be present. If love is present, then confidence and answered prayer will be present. If love is present, then awareness of the abiding presence of the Holy Spirit will be present. And again, we understand this as a process, right? I mean, it's not just a magic formula. All right, I'm going to go out and I'm going to love and boom, instantly I'm going to have it all and I'm going to get it. We do, we do understand that it's a process. We understand that it's a part of sanctification, that as we grow in love, right, our, our awareness of these things and our understandings of these things will what? They'll grow as well. I think 1 Corinthians 3, 4 through 13, if I had to give you an application from this text, which I'm going to, it's going to be from this. So let's go to 1 Corinthians 3, 4 through 13. As you're turning there, um, you know, I want this for you. I want this for me. I want it for us, right? I want, it, I want self-condemnation to be absent. I want us all to be assured of our salvation, right? I want us all to be confident in answered prayer, right? Aware of the abiding presence of the Holy Spirit. First Corinthians, this is a text that all of us or most of us are probably familiar with. Again, 3, 4 through 13. I'm sorry, First Corinthians 13, 4 through 13. That makes much more sense. Okay, First Corinthians 13, starting in verse 4. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant 
or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. As for prophecies, they will pass away. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part, and we prophesy in part, but when the perfect comes, the partial will pass away. When I was a child, I spoke like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I gave up childish ways. For now we see in a mirror dimly lit. Or sorry, for now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, but then I shall know fully, even as I have been fully known. So now, faith, hope, and love abide, these three. But the greatest of these is love. The greatest of these is love. Let's, let's as a church, let's as, as families, let's as individuals, let's seek the greater gift, right? Let's seek love, that is agape. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, I, I, do, I do desire for us corporately as, as a church um, to have assurance of our secure salvation, right? To have confidence, Lord, that you answer prayer, that you will answer all of our prayers according to your will, which is for your glory and for our good. I want us all to have an acute awareness of the abiding presence of the Holy Spirit in, in our lives. And I know that, that there's a connection, as, as you've proclaimed in your word here, between love in us and, and through us and, and these three really promises or, or realities, things that should be realities for us. And, and so, Lord, um, instead of just simply seeking these three things, I think what we need to be seeking then is, is we need to be seeking love. We need to be seeking the greater gift. We need to be actively, actively loving one another. So Lord, I pray that you would, um, you would do that in us and through us because we can't. I mean, even as believers, we, we still need you um, doing this. And so I, I ask, Lord, that, that you would do it. You would enable us to love one another as you have loved us because you have loved us. And, and as a result, God, you, of course, first and foremost, would be glorified. And then that we as, as believers would be sanctified as we enjoy these benefits of love. Jesus, thank you for your love for us, your love for us that was displayed on the cross that was proclaimed through an empty grave. It is in your name and for your sake that we ask these things this morning.